And we're back. I'm Murphy. Tom, are you out there? <laughs> yeah. How are you, Murph? I'm doing pretty good. This is a very eventful episode. Uh, we're, what are we going to discuss today? Well, we're back to our series Rewind, <gasps> oh. and we're up to the iconic Part 8. Got a light. Part 8. Got a light. I'd forgotten it was called Got a Light, but that was the monumental uh, episode that changed everything, wasn't it? It was. Do you? I mean, you were at your home. You watched every episode at your house but do you recall the kind of sense memory of watching this episode is it more vivid than any other any other episode because it certainly is for me well yeah it just blew my mind from the start the bob bubble i think was the beginning but once we saw the uh the nuclear bomb i think i texted you holy fucking shit that was my my initial response (laughs) yeah do you remember the lead up the tweets the mysterious tweets leading up to the episode no, but it was Kyle saying the world's about to be changed or something. We were all freaking out. We thought something monumental was going to happen. Yeah, there were several. Yeah, were I think tweets? Peter Deming. I think Sabrina Sutherland. Um, I think Kyle McLaughlin um, all tweeted out like a couple days beforehand that you're about to see something um, that you've never seen before. This is the big episode. This is the one that freaked out the world. Are you excited? <laughs> I'm very, very excited. I have not watched this in a very long time. When's the last time you watched? Um, I think I've watched it with the sound down a few times just for effect, but I have not watched it all the way through. I guess there's only a few lines of dialogue in the entire episode anyway, but yeah, it's been a while, several months. This is the first podcast that I'm doing in complete darkness because you just have to have the lights out watching this episode because it is just so dark to begin with. But it creates the right ambiance. Well, this is going to be the big one. It's going to be in the Smithsonian next to Fonzie's jacket and Archie Bunker's like uh, chair. So, are we ready to start? Yeah, let's start right now. All right, with the Rancho Rogo, uh, Rancho Rosa logo. So here we go. Hit play. That was actually a really cool Rancho Rosa logo. This this episode is very cool looking. Yeah, yeah, and I think that and. when we saw that, I think, I don't know if it was the first black and white one. Yeah, that but, was, it uh, was. We were scared. I think anytime black and white ones happen, we know trouble's going to occur. Wasn't there one that was almost all black? We were like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Like 17. I don't know which one, but there was one that I was like very terrified of. This whole episode is a complete outlier, and Lynch is breaking every convention, every rule, but not consciously. He follows the ideas of wherever they go, and it works. 
Yeah, do you think they ever considered like where to place this in the series? It could have been in a lot of different spots. Do you think they always knew it was going to be part eight? No, I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, Lynch might have had an idea of, okay, it's going to be 18 hours, but just from everything that we've read about the editing, I don't think that he knew specifically where, other than maybe kind of the beginning the and ending, that it would be somewhere in the middle, but not maybe eight, uh, the episode eight specifically. But we talked about uh, this one time. Wouldn't it have been really, really, really interesting if the very first episode after we see the scene of Laura and Cooper saying, I'll see you again in 25 years, instead of going to Dr. Jacoby, getting the shovels, if we started right off in 1945 with the Trinity test. Yeah, what, the, start with a bang. People would have freaked out, and it would have worked. Like, if you just have removed, like, the, the Bob bubble and some of the other stuff, you could have just had the Trinity test right there, and everybody would have been going nuts, I think. Yeah, you obviously you wouldn't show the scene of Mr. C and Ray, uh, because yeah, you cut that. You, you leave that. Yeah, you leave that. You just start with like the countdown and the bomb. Can you imagine the reactions from everyone? People would have been that? freaking out. They would have loved it. I think it would have started the buzz because I think as soon as we get to Dark uh, Jacoby doing the eight-minute shovels, that people just <laughs> dropped off immediately. <laughs> right, <laughs> millions so dropped off and never right. came back after that. <laughs> Did you watch this in like complete darkness? I know you had to wait in L.A. because it was still sight because it was in the summertime. Um, uh, well, I was jonesing always, so I always watched it too early, and it was always a little bit too bright. And I remember, like, I tried to turn on the first episode and or the first part of it, and when the Ray and Mister C in the darkness, I couldn't see anything, so I had to wait for a couple more hours. It was torture. Right. I mean, that's the one thing is that I've never seen anything, any series, movie, anything that is so dark, like that whole Bob bubble scene that we're going to see here in a little bit. Like, I was like, is that is is that Bob? Is that what? I, it's like I couldn't yeah, I couldn't quite remember. see it. That's what I was going, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, I saw that coming out, and that was terrifying. So uh, here we are. Here's Ray and Mr. C driving. So what did you think about Ray? Did you think that, what were the odds that he was going to make it uh, through the scene? Uh, I thought that he would die uh, within 10 minutes of being first introduced in episode one <laughs> when he came out with that mug, <laughs> mugging around, mincing about. I don't know what, what I thought he was going to be a side character, but he turned out to be a really uh, integral guy, and I was very proud of him for sticking around as long as he did. I love this kind of just opening shot, driving. It sets the tone. There's a lot of silences. We know that Mr. C is probably going to go take out Ray. And that's what I love about it. The expectation is there's no way Ray is going to survive this scene. Mr. C is so good with all this like technology and burner phones. He recognizes that uh, Warden Murphy has got him tracked. He's going to go ahead and uh, you know take care of that, get rid of the phone, so they're scot-free. But yet he cannot anticipate Ray pulling the old trick to you fucker and uh, shooting him. So it's like it's like part of like you know you got Bob in him and you got like Cooper you know because you know he's the doppelganger of Cooper or whatever and he is this mastermind who's had this criminal empire for God knows how long you know amassing billions of dollars in glass boxes but the more kind of simple little intuition of this guy sitting next to you who's like uh, gonna like you know plug you he doesn't pick up on. He's not very trustworthy, but uh, yeah, I would think. Uh, but maybe he's like Mr. C, dude. He's like omnipotent essentially. He can't be killed. He knows, so he's not worried. Well, he's not omnipotent. Yeah. He's that's what I'm saying is is that he has like a weakness. Or he's, he's uh, basically he, he can't die. Not omnipotent, but uh, invincible because he got shot right. and he came back. So if he gets shot, big deal. He's not worried about it. If anybody tries to plug him, he'll just come back to life. Just a little like look that Mister C gives like Ray. I think right here. And when they're kind of talking, I was just like kind of laughing. Yeah, he's looking at him right now. He's giving him the look. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you think if he had it's... lost that arm wrestling match and got his arm ripped off, it would have just grown back and he'd be fine? <laughs> Probably. I mean, Bob, yeah. I mean, Bob, Bob like could do that. anything, right? Yeah. Maybe that accountant uh, would have come and helped sewed it back on for him. Than the dance. Do you think that accountant was uh, was a White Lodge? Uh, yeah, I think he was a woodsman, all dressed up with his sh- and shaved, <laughs> with the CPA. Yeah. The way that uh, Lynch is establishing, I think, like the expectations of the audience, especially after Part Seven ended, that you know, Mister C, we know that there's a gun in the glove compartment. We know that he wants the coordinates from Ray. He's basically asking him right now, telling him to get off the highway. But this expectation, right, of Mister C is going to go ahead and get this information and plug Ray. And what happens is that Ray turns uh, out to one-up Mr. C. And it's like, okay, our, our, the audience is like, oh, I, I mean, I didn't, did you expect Mr. C to get shot in that scene? No, I didn't. But I wasn't that surprised because it does seem like a, a natural turn. But uh, yeah, I was definitely not. Well, that's what I'm leading up to. So, okay, so, all right, so maybe you can infer that. But who the hell would have guessed a bunch of dirty bearded men appearing out of nowhere and doing some ritualistic dance and resuscitating Mr. C. Like, no one could have expected that. No, that was right? the unexpected factor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the Bob Bubble as well. That was, like, the first time we ever saw that shit. That was what completely freaked me out. Right, so we got the little, like... Uh, the way he smiles, uh, the Bob in the bubble. Like, that was very terrifying. That was yeah. freaking me out. It still does freak me out. Well, we got the tease of, like, Stuart Woodsman, Stuart Strauss, our friend. He was our the Woodsman, Woodsman in part two. And then we got the, the, the sooty Woodsman in the morgue in part seven, right? Yeah. Walking down the hallway. Mm-hmm. Those are only two shots. And then the only time we saw Bob was with Mr. C in jail, right? Going part uh, five. You still yeah, with me? That's yeah. good. So this is really kind of the culmination of that. The woodsman, like it's tied with Bob and Mr. C and, uh, but it was terrifying. And uh, I, I was, I literally, I remember watching the scene and getting close up to my television and like I, I was, it was like a euphoric feeling. He's looking good. Well, what do you think gun. with uh, the bullets? Like Mr. C is checking the bullets in the gun, right? So he knows there are bullets. Yeah, it looks in like the there's gun. bullets in there. Can you tell if they're blanks just by looking at them? I don't think you can. But the one question that I have is like, if they are blanks, it still fires, right? It just doesn't, you know. There's no. Yeah, bullet. it makes like there's a no loud projection. sound, and yeah. But there, these it was just clicks. It just clicked. So they're duds. I don't know. Or duds. Is that what, what that is? Know. Isn't the song that's playing during the resuscitation scene like Moonlight Sonata? Yeah, slowed down. Yeah. That was great. Just... So this was it. This is the first moment is the uh, the lightning flashes, the electricity, and the sooties coming out from nowhere. Now, do you think that they could show up anywhere? Because they showed up in Part 17 at the sheriff's station. They showed up here. They can yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, I think they can. I don't know why. I don't know. What, they don't need a portal or they don't need any uh, sycamore trees, but they can just pop in and pop out somehow. I guess like the TARDIS, they, uh, the, the convenience store from which they came. Yeah, I always thought that like maybe the God of Light sooty, the Abraham Lincoln sooty, was like the head sooty, and that they all took their, their callings from him, but it, you don't really see him at all ever again except for that one scene. So it seems like he's not uh, uh, a godlike uh, woodsman that lives on forever because you would think we would have seen him more than once. It Maybe also, he got a job as an Abraham Lincoln impersonator like in <laughs> Ted's Excellent Adventure and other movies. Right. Party on, Part dudes. Yeah. yeah. Um, really, the Bob bubble here is about oh, to... This is terrifying. This is a freakish fucking scene, dude. Yeah, and they're actually like like digging like around. Like There's a shot where they're digging in the dirt and Mr. C isn't there. And then all of a sudden you see his body like appear. So yeah, like he, maybe he's going to die, but then they probably kept him there. They're, they're keeping yeah. him there. 
This is probably what like surgeons were like in like the 14th century. Like you go to get like a gallbladder or something, and this is what it would be like. <laughs> this is you what walk in, don't go in there. You don't want to see what they have to do to you. Is this? Oh god! Ray's man. got a great face here. He's doing. I don't know how he takes this took, but he looks truly terrified. And they're just smearing it, it, that blood all over Mr. C's face. Just very, oh yeah, very and uh, yeah, and they lift up Mr. Oh, C's head. Yes, they're lifting up his head, which would be like the most fucking freakish thing. You kill somebody, and then you see this head lift up and fucking this bob orb crawl out of it. I guess it didn't go all the way out. We actually discussed no. that forever. We had an argument. <laughs> we had like a 19-week argument. How many weeks that was? But uh, you always thought the Bob Bubble stayed in, and I thought it left. But you were right. Here it comes. Oh, God. Yeah, and it's... You've I, passed I a kidney it's... stone before, Tom. Do you, would you like to have passed a Bob Stone? <laughs> Thanks for uh, revealing that information. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, your uh, private medical okay. information. Yeah, the whole world but uh, uh, no, I think I'd rather pass a kidney stone than a Bob oh, Bubble. Oh, my God. I know. think so, too. Yeah. There's that smile. He looks good, though, doesn't he? That is the image yeah. from Firewalk with me when Laura enters her room and he's looking for the diary. That was the shot that they took of Frank Silva. Yeah, it looks like the shot. Like if you made like a three-pointer at the end of the game and you look at him and he's like, giving a high five, that would be the look. I love how Lynch just holds on this scene yeah. after Ray takes off. And we have just the smoke. Uh, we have the electrical flashes, and then we have the shot of the moon. The ritualistic which might, chanting as well. Um, what about the <laughs> Philip Jeffries angle with Ray? Yeah, I always thought that what is, yeah, what is exactly? I was going to ask you that question. Is Philip, because I mean, Philip <laughs> Jeffries, he ends up, I mean, uh, Ray ends up in the lodge, and uh, Philip Jeffries looks like that uh, was hiring him, or they were talking to each other. I still don't understand how Jeffries is able to <laughs> yeah. transcend the teapot. Tea does he have a cell number? Yeah, how does he call? How does he call the, how does he call the teapot? I have no idea. And just the fact that we find out later that Ray is an informant for the FBI, it would make more sense that he was contacting Cole or Albert or something, letting them know. But if we remember from part two, Jeffries apparently instructed Ray to knock off Mr. C and was going to give him $500,000, which is also baffling, was how would Jeffries get access to $500,000? Maybe he's got Bitcoin, like Jeffrey Bucks. (laughs) Lynch just holds the scene that's sort of ray's gone i gotta go he gets in his car and he's <laughs> out of there so i think any really other director is gonna be like okay let's cut to the next shot lynch lingers on this smoke and the sooty still dancing ritualistically and he just it's just a master of mood and he even cuts to, and this might just be a nod to the song that he's playing, is the uh, Moonlight Sonata. He actually cuts to a shot of the moon before we cut to the roadhouse with the Nine Inch Nails. But this is on like maybe 90 seconds of screen time of nothing but smoke, electricity, and the moon. But it works. Well, yes, I'm still trying to figure out what the Ray's connection is to the lodge because he got the ring, the owl ring, from the mysterious guard, right? That we think might be the one-armed man. He ends up in the lodge after he gets shot. How does he even know about the Dutchmans as well? That's what I mean. He seems to be very versed in this. Like he's like he's like uh, like a cop who went too far, like Serpico or something. He, he went undercover and he got he got too deep. Now he's in. Now he's in on the in the gang. He knows too much. Or maybe he's just like one of the FBI agents, like Philip Jeffries and Coop, that just got swayed on the case, and that now he's got he's in the lodge that way. Because I mean, I thought, but maybe he is like a lodge entity himself. Who knows? Yeah. Would anyone who is wearing the ring when they die show up in the lodge? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I see why this feels strange that he's in there. Yeah. Well, here we are, Tom. We're in the one of your favorite parts of the entire season was watching the Nine Inch Nails. Here, doing a full, a full entire uh, song. What do you think? Most of the performances um, 
I wasn't a big fan of. And that's mostly because it's taking away from screen time. It would be one thing if all of the performances were over the credits, but that wasn't necessarily the case. I mean, there were at least a couple of minutes probably where the song is actually playing before the credits roll. Um, And for me, it's like having to wait 25 years, and this is David Lynch directing for the first time since Inland Empire. Um, I want to just maximize screen time with the story, other characters, and not like a musical act. The lyrics kind of tie into Laura, right? It does, actually. Like I think he says like she opens up her mouth wide. And I do recall reading somewhere that... Lynch or that Trent Reznor actually recorded a song for Twin Peaks and Lynch said like no 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 I need something like you know darker like nastier yeah. and uh, and came up with this so did he write this for or was this something he's already written I, I don't know it's a good question I, I don't know if he had this like in the vault somewhere it's like oh I'll just pull this one out or he was challenged by Lynch to, to come up with something on the spot and this is what we got but I think it's a very effective it's not kind of my milieu uh, I, I like the older Nine Inch Nails, but uh, I think in the context of Part Eight, I think uh, this this is very effective, and I really like the end of the uh, performance when we cut back to Mr. C, like the the guitar reverberation that we were still hearing, and right before Mr. Yeah. C like rises, and it's just it's very effective. Yeah, yeah, I think this really adds to the dread, and we're like, what the fuck is going to happen in this episode? I think this was just another off kilter because we've never seen a full performance like so quickly into a, an episode. So that was another thing. It was like, set us off. Like what the fuck? Yeah, I agree. Right. I mean, this is, isn't this really the only time that we get a, a performance, you know, so soon in an episode, I think we got a couple like towards the end. It was in the final shot, but I think we knew uh, watching this once we got this performance pretty much like 10 minutes in that we weren't going to come back to the roadhouse again. And uh, we were going to go somewhere else, but I had no idea. I don't think anyone, there was no, the only real inkling I think anyone could have had about maybe going back in time was a quote from David Nevins, who's I think the head of Showtime. He was quoted uh, before the premiere saying that, um, talking about the origins of the Black Lodge, I believe it was before the premiere, that he was uh, excited that Lynch and Frost decided to explore the origins of the Black Lodge. But, you know, that's, you know, what does that mean exactly? It could have been anything. I don't think anyone could have predicted 1945 and then 1956. Yeah, no, I can't either. I just always wonder, like, why didn't they uh, make the girl, if she's supposed to be Sarah Palmer eating the bug later, why why does she have at least kind of look a little bit like her? Doesn't look anything like her. Maybe she kind of does a little bit. So? Maybe, yeah. Like I think freckles, she kind maybe, of evokes something. Sarah. Didn't we, wasn't when we watched the episode initially, I think we were talking, I mean, that's, I think a normal reaction, like who is that? Who could that be um, with familiar faces in Twin Peaks? And I think we both kind of agreed that it was probably Sarah Palmer, but it was just like, who else was going to be? Log Lady? Uh, who else could it have been? Um, Betty Briggs? Um, there wasn't a lot of, of characters it could have been, but uh, it's still, I don't think in Lynch's book, it is Sarah Palmer. Well, it, it might be Sarah Palmer, but he certainly doesn't give that away. The only reason why we're saying he kind of gave it away in the DVD when he was talking to Sarah on the on you know, Grace Zabriskie going like whispering, "We're we're in a creepy place," and <laughs> it did sound like the bug lady was. He was talking to the bug lady. I think he might. That yeah yeah. Okay, here we go. Cooper's alive, which was shocking. But here I am at the countdown. 
July yeah, 16th, 1945. We've seen how many movies with like nuclear bombs and stuff like that, but has anyone ever taken a camera inside an explosion? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Maybe. Pretty perhaps. amazing. Night of the Comet think- or something, maybe, perhaps? Was there, was there a nuclear bomb? In- <laughs> Did you Min- say Night of the Mir- Comet? Miracle Mile? <laughs> there any oh, Miracle Mile. Miracle Holocaust okay. movies of the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, but just having like, I mean, it's just, it's like perfect like Lynch uh like mood, right? I mean, there's there's no cuts. It's just this long, it's long freaky bricky zoom, and it, I think this this episode has uh, by far the best special effects, in you know compared to other special effects in the series. Would you agree? Well, yeah, absolutely. I think they spent a lot of their money on this one. Do you think they just spent a lot of money on this one, or do you think um, Lynch chose some of the other special effects to have kind of that? more kind of organic not cheap but uh unreal aspect to it but since this is like kind of a a, this kind of this is a real moment in history and uh it is of the past that he chose to like make it seem more real than the other effects like it was a conscious decision like instead of going like let's like oh wait we spent all this money we don't have much money left for everything else because it seems like if lynch really wanted to make everything super super real he would have made it super real yeah well this really happened obviously this was an event you know so he wanted to make it very real and terrifying and uh the other ones were like you know maybe lodge uh illusions so that they could be less realistic looking some of the cgi pulling the faces off and so forth and maybe that's the explanation well i'm just thinking of like remember when duncan duncan todd got his head blown off like how unrealistic (laughs) that looked i mean that was hilarious that was like a cgi play-doh thing i don't know what that was i mean do you think that lynch went into the wherever the company that was doing the effects and they go like well this is what we got this is the money it's all the money we've got left and this this is what we can do and lynch is like good go i mean go for it i mean do you or do you think it was just like lynch like no this is how i want it like make it look unreal and kind of cheap um, no, like all- from the DVD, freaking out about the budget and the schedule and everything. I think that they just ran out of time. And he's like, just Mr. Bill is head. Mr. Bill the fucking head. Let's keep moving. <laughs> Go get some Play-Doh. Make his head. Blow it up. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously didn't like, you know, Kyle say that like David was off like working on something, you know, a special effect yeah. that he was like working on forever. And it was this little special. Do you think that was revealed in part eight? Was that a part eight effect, or was that like Andy's the box that Andy was holding, the mysterious thing when he gets got sucked up into the lodge in fourteen by the giant? I always wondered what that was that that, uh, that Kyle was referring to. Well, I thought that it was around the time of part fourteen, so I thought maybe it was that thing that Andy was holding. But then when you watch the DVD, um, there is an actual um, uh, a little part of one of their one of those uh, individual episodes where you see someone making that. Um, whatever that object is, and it's not Lynch. Um, so I don't think it was. I have no idea. We never and got an answer. I, I think the frog bug, frog moth, I think is how they describe it. Sabrina Sutherland describes it. But that was that's a computer-generated uh, uh, effect. So I don't know what it is. That's a very good question. Um, I, want, I want to ask you, because we're in the bomb. Yeah, we're flying through the center of the bomb at this we're point. We're flying through it's the center of the bomb. It really is. that It's so beautiful. It's... I mean, it's it's really. Uh, it's interesting ironic. to watch with the sound down as too. Like usually the set because it makes so much of a difference hearing right. the sound effects, but with it off, you can really focus on. And uh, it is beautiful, but it's a different interpretation seeing it without the sound. It is now you, you we're inside the bomb and we're seeing this beautifully you know all these beautiful abstract destructive images. But do you think the reason why he decided 
to stay so long within the bomb is because what is happening, all those like molecules, these atoms, these chemical components, what they're doing is because it's born out of this destructive device that it is somehow you know, gelling together and the end result is this convenience store and the woodsman. Like, are they a byproduct of this bomb or like the experiment and the Bob bubble? Did they just somehow enter our realm because of the massive uh, explosion? Well, that's a good question. Like I thought in the, initially watching it that somehow maybe they were just a bunch of uh, loggers off duty at the gas station picking up some <laughs> beef jerky and the bomb went off and nuclearized them and turned them into woodsmen. But now watching it again, it's interesting coming out of the, the explosion. Like there it is, just the convenience store. And it looks like maybe it was kind of just in another time dimension and now it's, now it's there and that it wasn't something like then that the woodsmen were uh, came, came through a time break in the time space continuum or something like I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm thinking maybe that the woodsmen were not there to begin with before the bomb hit that they right. I think that's the case too I think that and what I um, think that what we're seeing here is that we don't see we don't identify with just one woodsman it seems like this is like the first time that they're gathering together like in our realm in our timeline so to speak and what they're doing they're kind of like ants they seem like i know lynch is kind of fascinated with ants he's always been fascinated with ants that's why i always thought that the image on the playing card was an ant that they're, these are the, these kind of worker ants and they don't really kind of have they're kind of like a unified consciousness and they have this one goal in mind and i think it's more bent on the evil side and they're coming together and they're working together to summon the the great evil the experiment slash bob and because uh, it, it makes sense that the convenience store is tied to like a meeting place, as Jeffrey says in Fire Walk With Me, like I've been to one of their meetings. <clears throat> so maybe that's what we're, we're seeing here because we haven't seen the experiment or Bob because it would make sense that if the bomb was the cause of all this evil in the world that we would have first seen like Judy, the experiment and Bob. But no, we see the woodsman. So I think they're summoning uh, the experiment and Bob. And that's why it makes I think it makes sense that Bob is tied to the woodsman. Yeah, um, I think we, originally we were a little confused because we thought that like uh, Mark Frost Dugpa uh, thing from season two that Wendell Merle talks about was going to be these woodsmen, but that always implied that the Dugpas were like magicians on black magicians on Earth that were really humans, I suppose, and that they didn't come through the space time continuum. Right. Yeah, because I I, I did it. think it. I liked the Dugpa angle um, that there are these kind of you know black sorcerers, and they do the bidding of the great evil Judy or Bob and they're in cahoots. But, um, I, th that, that really, really took off. I've never really seen any traction with people associating the woodsmen with the Dugpas. Um, and they're, I mean, they're still very mysterious, but I don't know. It's a very good question, uh, but here it is. Here's the experiment. There she is. And th there she is. And is that uh, funny? You spend all this time conjuring like Zool and she just throws up on you. <laughs> Right. Just on you. Now, do you think that all these other different like eggs represent like the jumping man, yes. Mrs. Tremont, Mike, uh, uh, other woodsmen, maybe other spirits that we you know we're not privy to the Lois Duffy tulpas, so to speak. Um, I don't know about Lois Duffy tulpas, but I think they're all evil spirits, and they all uh, perhaps hatched the bugs, and the bugs all landed in people's mouths, and they all became like Judy children, perhaps. Right. Uh, I would think that I would think that they definitely are all evil seeds, right? That was the point of seeing this. I think was that you're seeing that she's puking out evil all over the world. 
Right. <laughs> Bob's just one of the many evil evil bugs that are coming down. And then he goes right back into the explosion. Yeah, back in. Here we go. It's like almost like he's like, all right, let's take a little pause. We're going in. We're seeing, you know, the the results of this this decision to create the ultimate you know weapon of mass destruction, and there's something that that no human could anticipate. This these spirits, these this great evil that is going to infiltrate our realm. So he shows us that with the convenience store, the woodsman, Judy, and Bob. And now he goes right back into the explosion again, and we see this gold blob. Yeah, the golden orb. Gold that's very, that's an interesting. That blob is kind of like it's evocative of the orbs and of the the, the Laura orb and the, the seeds that uh, create tulpas. I mean, do you think that was in, uh, intentional? Yes, I think it's very intentional. The gold motif is very intentional, but I associate gold with with like kind of good because of the Laura ore, because of the emanation of the fireman is gold, the log lady's uh, log turning gold when she's dying. But so to see that metallic gold, you know, orb within the, the atomic explosion and to go inside of it and then ultimately to go to the fireman's domain is very curious. Is it like, are they all like tied together? Is this really kind of like... We were talking about Judy and Bob and the woodsman uh, coming to our realm because of the explosion, but is it possible that the fireman was, is this the first time that maybe he is you know, coming to our world as well? Maybe he's been overseeing other worlds, and that's what this whole alarm thing is, is that Judy and Bob and the woodsman, they're now on this planet Earth, and he gets the, the message, sees the explosion, and it's like, okay, i got to create something to, to deter that, and hence the, the lore orb. Or has he always overseen Earth and been in that realm? It, it's very curious to have all of that action, that really the origin of like evil and even good within that atomic explosion. Yeah, it's very interesting. Maybe like the rift uh, that the nuclear bomb caused, uh, you know, sucked in like this different reality, and one and the mother jumped in fast because the Doug Pope or the woodsmen were conjuring her, and then right after that, it, it also pulled in the White Lodge as well, pulled them both in. Yeah, perhaps. That, it, it, I wouldn't think that the, that the giant was like the, the White Lodge was somehow some, you know, that they were already here. You know, I would think that they came with the evil, the white and the yeah. black, the yin and the yang. And it also goes against the, I mean, what I always thought about the Black and the White Lodge is the, the portals of the Black Lodge, which is in Glastonbury Grove in Twin Peaks. And we never know, we never knew where the White Lodge is. And I think we can now kind of uh, assume that it's the portal near Jackrabbit's Palace. But I would assume that that has been around for like a long, long, long time and not just since 1945. That's yeah, maybe, I mean, looking at the observatory of the white, the, the castle or whatever, what did he call it? Like the, the giant's... Uh, the fireman's the, mansion? Yeah, the mansion. It does look like an observatory. Perhaps he's like some uh, watchdog for the universe, all the different space-time continuums and the planes of reality, and he's getting a, a symbol or he's getting a, an alarm set off because he sees in Sector 8, 12.9 or whatever you call our little reality <laughs> that the evil is pierced through. Right. No, it, it, I think that could be the case, and uh, it makes sense because of the the evil that Bob represents. Um, that if we're seeing him just on Earth for the last like you know sixty years or whatever, that him that he along with Judy and maybe Woodsman have been terrorizing other planets, and we're just seeing Earth story. I think about that. Yeah, well, here we are—the first uh, visions of Senior Senorita Dido with the music. 
Isn't it interesting that like they, I mean, I guess the giant's not into like uh, sun. There's no windows in his house. He's got a little. There's crack. the one window we yeah, go right into. Crack. The That's one it. little crack, right? Yeah. yeah. How does now, he get do his vitamin think... D, Tom? He does <laughs> sun. Do you think uh, the whole NATO section, the purple room, is like that? Like the back is... half? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also Philip Jeffries, the awnings and like the way that room in the convenience store, it looks also like the structure of this 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 structure that is like Nido's and is like the Giants. Right. Very interesting. It is very interesting. And uh, but the fact that the Nado Cooper section, the purple room, is in color and yeah. everything that we see with same the fireman yeah, is in black. It's like the back the end. It feels like it's the same. It's the same place somehow. It what well, does? What isn't the sea? We just door. crossed over the sea. It was in color. But once we go into the fireman's mansion, there is no color. It's all black and white. But the Cooper and Nato scene in the purple room is in color. But every time we see the fireman, it's black and white. I thought we were back in time as well. Like, is this 1945 space? Like, the giant, they're all in, they're listening to the 1940s type music. They're kind of the old-timey furniture. Are we supposed to imply that as well? Perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is contemporary. I think this is probably 1945 to the How come the giant then in episode in season uh, two of the original series looks so much younger than Tom? How could he reverse an age? <laughs> Can you explain that? No. <laughs> I know, right? No, exactly. I, it's a good question. Yeah. Why does Cooper and Laura age in the lodge? I mean, I think if Lynch could somehow, maybe if he had an unlimited budget, say Lynch had an unlimited budget, do you think that he would choose to kind of de-age all of his actors. No, he he loves age. He loves crags and he age. He, yeah, just, he would he actually accelerate the age on people if he could, probably. Do you think the fireman is kind of looking at us, like the audience, like, what have you done? Kind of. He kind of looks like he's looking at me. I thought he might be looking at the window. Yeah, maybe that's what it is, yeah. Because he just said, like, dude, there was a bomb. Off, something just went off in Sector 12. And then he hears the <laughs> boop, boop, you know, and so he, he just heard it. And something's <laughs> wrong over there. Well, what, you know, the 50-cent question, what happened to Senorita Dido? Uh, what do you mean at the end of the series? Like, where is she? I mean, we have her one moment here in part eight. Oh yeah, she's... well, she wasn't in the when we see him, when Mister C uh, infiltrates. She's not there. You're saying like when Major Briggs shows up. Yeah, she's right. Gone. Yeah. Well, I always thought right. she had her own path. Thought she's a liberated woman, uh, and that they date, but that they're not married. He looks like he's kind of swinging. He's got the Hugh Hefner, <laughs> uh, you know, smoking jacket on. So maybe she's got her own place. Right. I remember we talked about the first scene um, in part one with Cooper and the fireman. And he says, "Listen to the listen to the sounds." We see the same. Um, it's a gramophone, right? Yeah, Isn't gramophone. that what that is? Mm-hmm. And that it was possible that maybe Senorita Dido was just off camera. Yeah, I think that's possible. Her. Well, and also, I also thought that the hum in the Great Northern Hotel might be the song of Senorita Dido. Oh yeah, that, I think you came up with that. Like that's that. a very yeah. I like that too. Um, one thing I was thinking about too is that this whole section, the fireman's mansion, is shot in the same location that the Silencio Club Silencio scene from Mulholland Drive was shot. And when he's looking up at the screen, that was the stage. And then there's the, what is it? Is it the, it's not the balcony. What do you call the, uh, uh, where the, uh, the blue haired lady was? Oh it's yeah. Like, the little boxes. Whatever. Yeah, what, yeah. It escapes me at the time. I apologize. But I was thinking like, you know, there's so many kind of cross references with other Lynch films that is it possible that Senorito Dido is somehow related to that version of the blue-haired lady in Mulholland Drive. Yeah, well, I think she might be a spiritual sister, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. I thought about that. I did like the one part in the DVD when they were shooting the scene. <laughs> and, like, everyone, then Lynch is just freaking out. I don't know what he's talking about. He's just obsessed, obsessing about something. 
And then like the, he's like, well, we're going to get to this. We're going to start building this and doing that. And the guy's like, one of the first uh, second directors is like, you know, David, it's 4.30. And I was like, is it 4.30 in the morning or 4.30 at night? I couldn't tell. Well, you know, watching the DVD um, extras, it seems like more often than not that they didn't really start shooting. The production schedule started in the afternoon. Like Lynch doesn't seem to be like the kind of guy unless he has to um, start shooting at like nine a.m. Like I think remember that whole section of uh, the the Polish accountant and the Chantal and Hutch. Remember the extras that like he was uh, he was really freaking out. Like come on, hurry, hurry up, hurry! Oh, yeah. up. Can we get... shoot? Can we shoot? <laughs> I think that was one of those like he was on set at nine a.m. because they had they were in a real world location and they you know could maybe only do it during one day. But I think it was probably four thirty p.m. I think Lynch likes to start shooting late in the day and then going maybe into the late evening. But that's just kind of a guess. Well, it doesn't make sense, but that's another here or there. So here we are watching the giant. He's got great video. Uh, he's got the exact... He, uh, he can actually zoom in on the Bob bubble. Well, it's not that... Okay, so here we go. He's zooming in on the Bob bubble. It actually freezes, freezes it. on the Bob bubble. It doesn't freeze on the experiment. We hardly even see the experiment. I mean, if that is Judy, the mother of all evil... You would think, and, and if, if what this whole series about with Cooper and killing two birds with one stone and with Sarah um, tied with Laura and the whole Odessa section, what it all means about like and the Judy Pocket universe and, and what the giant is instructing Cooper, like you would think that, okay, it's Judy, but this is Bob. He stops it on Bob. Like, okay, wow, okay, i got to do something about this guy here. This I know this guy. He's got a reputation from Sector 4. Now he's in Sector 12. What are we going to do? So isn't it curious that it's not the experiment and it's Bob that causes him to create the Laura Orb? Yeah, maybe he has been facing off with Judy forever, and so he knows who that is. But Judy's got a new, a new weapon. Judy's shooting uh, something down here. She's got the, you know, that's what he's focused on because Judy herself, perhaps, can't come down and wreak havoc only her children can right maybe that's why well, there you go her. right so that's kind of that really kind of reinforces like part 18 that it's not even though judy the presence of judy the 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 dread uh the evil um the oppression that we kind of feel in part 18 i think that is what judy is what judy represents and the evil that we're seeing like that's manifested through our characters are kind of like the Judy Bugs, whether it's a Tulpa with Diane or if it's what's what behind Sarah's face or what's the true identity of Carrie Page and who really is Alice Tremont and what is in that Palmer house. I don't really think it's about killing whatever that experiment looks like, if that is Judy. I think it's dealing with the real-world manifestation of that evil. And uh, it seems like that we do get a proper... Uh, uh, climax or conclusion in part 17 with Bob. Bob is destroyed and he's destroyed by a, you know, a confederate of the firemen, by Freddie. You know, that was it. Freddie destroyed Bob. It wasn't Cooper. So it, 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 the plan succeeded to kill Bob. That started right here. Well, it didn't succeed. He'll come back, I think. Well, at least... You know, in that, uh, yeah, in that like timeline, if that you know story arc, Bob was destroyed. Um, but it's also very curious as well is that if Frank Silva was still alive, there's no way in hell there would be anything resembling a Bob bubble. There'd be no there bubble. Be no yeah. bubbles. We need for a bubble. No bubble. There'd be Bob. Yeah. 
Yeah. God, so, can you imagine what he'd look like if he was really old? He'd be really terrifying looking. I think he would be even more yeah. terrifying, right? Yeah, even more freakier. Watching, okay, watching the giant shoot the gold uh, dots out of uh, the gold flecks out of his head to combat yeah. the Bob. Isn't it kind of like you know you could interpret that he's just God? Yeah, of course. He's God. Yeah. I, 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 yes, I think you're absolutely correct, and he's doing a version of like a meditation, and uh, he's just on such a different level. Because we know Lynch is so big in a transcendental meditation, he's actually able to create this soul, this deterrent to this evil, and send it off into our world. So I agree with you. I think the God, uh, the fireman, if he's not a god, he just does. He he represents everything that is good. You know, he's not maybe not be the god, but he's a god. He's a god. Little Groundhog Day there for you. Nice. Yeah, you know, I think if I could go like, you know, go to David Lynch's transcendental meditation sessions, we could all sit down and clear, like I'd have better time clearing my mind and being into it if my, like, gold flecks like came off of our heads. <laughs> I would see, God, yeah, I'm getting some able. results. I'm getting results here. <laughs> Everyone's got so the gold flecks. Go, yeah, he's got tons of flecks flying out of his head, Lynch. If I could just get a couple flecks, I'd be like, okay, I see progress. But if I'm just doing it on my own without illustrations, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, so do you think that this orb, the Laura orb, do you think it is the soul of Laura Palmer, of who Laura Palmer became, <laughs> or do you think it's part of like a dream, or do you think it's more kind of a symbol? I think it's symbolic somehow. I don't think it's Laura's. It can't be because it goes into Sarah. I don't think that really works. I don't think it's a dream. I think it's sim- 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 symbolic of good, like that they're sending a little golden orb of goodness to go combat the evil orb that we just saw go down and she's blessing it, kissing it, sending it off to battle. But I think just the fact that you see the Laura high school photo in there is symbolic. <laughs> right, right. I wish kind of, we didn't see it. Like, I don't know. It's just silly, but uh, I like it. So obviously I'm used to it now, but yeah, I don't think it's literal somehow. I, I agree. I think it's, it's like what the log lady was saying about, you know, the electricity is, is dying. You hear it in the rivers and the streams and, um, and Laura is the one that she somehow represents, whether it's just in the community of Twin Peaks or if Lynch is trying to take it, you know, to a more, I think, symbolic realm, that the image of Laura Palmer, the homecoming image, which I think represents everything that is kind of good, but it's just an image. And what we discovered in the original series in Fire Walk With Me and even in this series that Laura was a tremendously flawed person. But um, I think it's just all, that's part and parcel of what we're doing here. I think that um, the reason why he chose the homecoming image is because it is the iconic image of Twin Peaks. It does represent the facade of good. Yeah, and watching the little fallopian tube shoot the or- <laughs> Laura dot out. And there's the planet or Earth. It looks like a 1950s NASA video, right? It doesn't look like a real shot of Earth. Um, so the really the only indi- the only reason why I would think that Lynch would include that retro shot of Earth would be to indicate that it is 1956. It has right? to be right. What other yeah, what other I, reason? I I completely agree. It's like something that you would have seen like in you know school in like the 1960s or something yeah. like that. Like the first images like a, like an animation of what the Earth looked like and uh, before they actually could send up satellites and everything. So I think I I, I mean I agree with you. I think that whole section in the fireman's mansion took place in 1945 but with that being said i think just like within the black lodge time being nebulous time is nebulous in the fireman's mansion so 
I think that he probably knows of, of events that are going to occur like 50 years in the future or even beyond. It's yeah. just just that moment for, for us as an audience. Yeah, maybe the reason why they showed that is because now we're seeing the egg is hatching nine years later that it took nine years or what is it, 11, nine, whatever it is, years for it to gestate, the eggs to gestate until they hatched on Earth. Is it, I mean, it, yeah, is that, it's got to be, right? Because... Well, we that's saw, the only reason why we saw the little 1946, 7, 8, 9, 10. Like, it ticks off, and you're supposed to go, okay, well, nine years has passed since we saw that shit. But now we don't know if this is, like, we always wondered, is this, like, the Laura Orb, or is this the Judy Egg? And I think it's now probably pretty clear that the Frog Moth is a Judy Egg. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be from Judy. But I also think there's a, maybe a more selfish reason why it's 1956, because Lynch just loves that particular era Um, it would make sense to keep it in 1945 with everything that we saw with the woodsmen and what they're going to do but the fact that lynch could create more of a 50s feel with a pop's diner in a garage and the song my prayer (laughs) i think do you think he really did that (laughs) i don't know i'm just saying i'm just throwing it out there what the hell do we know we don't know anything we're just riffing here um but it does. I mean, I mean everything. Even Lynch's movies that are not shot in the 1950s evoke the 1950s. And here really is the first time in his whole au revoir where he is shooting something you know, in 1956, in the 1950s. Um, so I think that and, – and the DVD extras, there's that part where I think he goes into the, the, the radio station – and uh, he's talking to Peter Deming. Like, I think he's about to shoot the scene of the woodsman coming out. And he's talking to Peter Deming and he's going like, it's, it's got to be dark. It's, I mean, it's got to be like pitch black. And he, he talks about Boise Idaho, Boise, Idaho, where he grew up. I think he spent like his first few years, his first, I think it's probably where he had his first memories of life. I think he was very, very young. And he was describing how it was always black. Like at night, it was just black. There was nothing. So Lynch is evoking something from his past, his memory, and he is incorporating it into the section. So I think what we're seeing here with this girl and this boy, and I think that's what they're listed in credit in the credits, right? Is girl and boy, very generic. This is not like Lynch's first date, but I think this is him evoking some of his memories from his life and incorporating them into this this story and, and it makes sense with what we're seeing with uh, the story of the trinity test taking place in the 1940s it just is he was able to incorporate the 1950s into twin peaks yeah it's like a metaphor for the loss of innocence for our country and also maybe for him after he saw this dirty bearded men in the woods when he was 10 or 9 and got freaked out and it's <laughs> right. been terrifying as since and then there's that whole thing like you see the 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 woodsmen descend from pure air basically. here they come and it, for me, it evokes that line in Firewalk With Me, the, the meeting place above the convenience store, um, where the, the man from another place says, we have descended from pure air. And he actually went, you know, that scene is much longer in the missing pieces you get, uh, you know, you get an extended cut of that shot, of that scene. And they talk about all kinds of different things, and like animal life, and even in the script they go into it further, talking about being composed of like you know molecules and atoms and everything. So it, that's why I was talking about like the woodsman scene about um, them being maybe 
composed of the material within the atomic bomb. But we're, we're at this, the classic scene here. You want to take it away here? No, I just love this. It was just totally evocative, like the old school, like 1950s, like schlock horror zombie movies. And uh, I love it. It's just freaking me out. Here he is. Got a light. Comes in. Got a light. <laughs> this is great. And I was freaking out. I mean, I think this is one of the most effective, uh, you know, parts of the entire series. And it's beautiful. It's, it's fabulous. And this woman here screaming. And it's just, uh, I love it. Yeah, he's doing so many things. I mean, he's <laughs> distorting sound. He's slowing it down. Um, he's got his uh, electrical flashes. It's in black and white. You see like a flashlight. I guarantee that's probably Lynch with holding the flashlight himself right. on the driver yeah. of the car. The driver and does a really good job with the sound now. Just looking at his reaction is very good. There, this is great. I love it. It really was like <laughs> the two minutes of screen time here. I mean, I, it was... It wasn't scary. I've seen like a million horror movies, but it was, uh, well, I know you have And funny as well. uh, Scary and funny. That's the whole thing. Like Lynch can, it's kind of like Hitchcock. I mean, I think Lynch and Hitchcock are very similar in how they can kind of terrify you, but also bring that black humor uh, to the full. And when I watched the scene with uh, the wife, like screaming, like the distorted, like, no. I just kind of chuckle a little bit. It's like kind of, but then he's going like, got a light, got a light. And the driver's reaction. So you're feeling all the, like a kind of a, like a mixture, a melange of emotions. And that's, that's, that's Lynch. That's why he's so Yeah, no one gave him a light. And that's why he killed him. Do you think that the reason why she found uh, the penny, the, the, the Lincoln head, is there a connection to the Lincoln zombie that we see woodsman? We see later. Maybe, or but just a coincidence. I, mean, I no, I don't think it's a quint. I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence. Actually, I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think everything links up. Like Lynch has got a plan for every single thing, but I think he has a thing for Abraham Lincoln. I think he has a thing for um, the assassination of of Lincoln, like Frank Booth, John Wilkes Booth, um, like in Blue Velvet, and then also I think Dorothy Valens lived on Lincoln Street. Yes, because doesn't Francis yes. Bay go like you're not going don't down by Lincoln? Lincoln. And then we've got the penny. We've got the head woodsman who is an Abraham Lincoln impersonator. She finds the penny here. Heads up. It wasn't tails. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a coincidence. But what it means? I mean, that's anyone's interpretation. I mean, no psychiatrist could even get in Lynch's head. He actually went to go see a shrink at some point, and uh, he asked the shrink if it would affect his creativity, and the shrink said. Uh, possibly and he said that's it I'm out of here buddy he just he doesn't want anyone in his head I think being in David Lynch's head would be quite the experience but um, maybe it's even too much for him at times it's too much for us at times it is yeah I think it's too much for a lot of people but I love living in his world I mean I wouldn't want to necessarily live in David Lynch's head but I love living in the world of David Lynch's films well you said you wouldn't mind dying and ended up in the Black Lodge I think you think that would be a good reality for you I'm not sure I agree <laughs> it would be interesting I'd rather have that than just going out the window and then being like complete darkness really alright well it's your choice yeah. different strokes you have a choice of no consciousness blackness yes. endless void yes. or the Black Lodge well there'd be no consciousness so then you're just you're done you're, you're going to sleep taking a nap the big sleep doesn't matter but I don't want to be walking through the fucking lodge forever <laughs> That'd be horrible. <laughs> well, maybe it's not that bad. I mean, it's not all that bad. Like, you know, there was the good Dale in the lodge. What if it's like good, the good Murphy in the lodge? Maybe it's not that bad. Yeah, maybe they have like ping pong or something. Yeah, exactly. Something to do. <laughs> all right, here's the big, here he is. He's stalking it. The Abraham Lincoln woodsman happens upon this radio station. Or was he drawn to this radio station? Because he needs to spread the message. I think it's all like thought out and planned. I think that they descended from pure air. They had a mission or a goal to, 
um, get this message out. Now, whether they knew it was going to be a radio station, uh, who the hell knows? But it certainly makes sense that he well, they had is for going media there. He knows. He knows to like flip that switch and take the mic. It's not like yeah, he's like he grabbed the mic like he knew what he's doing too. Exactly. Can so you imagine what they would have done with like Facebook and social media if the woodsman came down? <laughs> be like the Russian bots. People be looking at their phones. Woody, getting completely hypnotized. <laughs> oh, this is. I just love this so... scene. This is a great, great scene, man. This is a standalone. This you just put this out there. If somebody had just given me this from a David Lynch, this little bit here, I'd have been very happy with it. Like years ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is only like a little what fifteen minute, twenty yeah, minute short, section. Yeah. I could have, I could have lived here like you know for like a whole. Yeah, I would have given it the Oscar, like a short film that. Oscar, ten years ago. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he could have you know easily expanded this, and uh, if if he had like carte blanche, we probably would have spent hours in this section, um, and just like we would have in the Fireman's Mansion. He certainly said that in the DVD extras. Um, but the fact that we get so little of it leaves us wanting more. And uh, I think that that's, that's good, too, um, because we have 18 hours. It, it, I like that we get just a little part of this. Selfishly, I want more. But uh, it just makes it that much brighter, in my opinion. And this really is the, not only the most iconic Twin Peaks episode, but uh, the most different. I mean, this is not... We're not in Twin Peaks. We spend, what, five minutes in Twin Peaks in this entire episode, and it's the Nine Inch Nails. And is that even really happening? Did the Nine Inch Nails really actually book, you know, um, get booked at the Roadhouse? Are no, they're in the Fireman's things? Mansion. Yeah, they're all, yeah. it's all, like, Audrey's manifestation. That's, not, none of that is real. It can't be. Well, he just crushed Ava Gardner's head. The Ava Gardner look-alike inside. <laughs> Do you think he wanted an Ava Gardner clone? Do you think? Yeah, uh, probably. Or some 1940s. Uh, she looked like she's from the 40s or 50s. Yeah. She looks like one of these. Uh, 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 who is it? Uh, it's not Francis Bacon. Who's the guy? Uh, is it Magritte? Uh, the artist Magritte. Yeah, what about him? So he's got the abstract apples in front of the heads. Yeah, the I think yeah. that there's a Magritte painting uh, that is very similar of how that secretary looked, and I think Lynch is into Magritte. I know he's into Francis. I think Bacon, he's into Magritte. I think I've heard that. Yeah. Well, here we are. He's grabbing the mic. So Lynch wrote this poem on the spot yeah, is that what Stuart told us yeah he just wrote or it or did we read that somewhere uh, I can't remember I think it, I don't think that Stuart was here for this scene so I think we read that somewhere that he wrote this okay. as a, just on the spot how did he do well, that Stu- I, I don't know I always assume this is magician, like Mark Tom? Frost is he a black magician <laughs> who Lynch or this uh, is the water do you think he, this is the first take he just wrote this in like two seconds that's it I don't know. See, I always thought this was Mark Frost. This is part. Of the, I mean, doesn't this does not seem like Lynch, right? No, it kind of does. The horses, the white of the eyes, and the dark without. This seems very Lynchian, actually. Well, it does, but I, I don't. I, I was surprised. I really did think. Do it you was think Mark he just Frost. wrote "Firewalk with Me"? The whole magician longs to see in eight seconds as well. I think that <laughs> <laughs> on a bar napkin. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I'm a I think Lynch break, yeah. did write that one, and who, who the hell knows? Maybe that was just like written in his black box. It was stored in his black box for years but uh i was kind of hoping I that was, we would see a, a, this callback or something that the drink full and descend limerick we'd hear that again later on in the series and we didn't yeah but the expectations yeah. i mean we uh, uh maybe the whole thing with uh, the white horse outside of judy's and in laura's house and uh, what we saw in the black lodge but uh i'm glad that this is a standalone scene because it, it keeps it mysterious um, and it really acts as this kind of uh, what's the movie uh, 
from the 1960s with the children and the, uh, the uh, village of the damned, like where he is like hypnotizing this community to allow presumably other bugs to go into other people. Cause that's what yeah, Frost talks about in his book. Um, but we're just focusing on the one going into uh, the little girl here. But uh, I, 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 I wish I'm glad that it did. I'm glad it was a standalone scene. It's like perfect that way. We all don't. We always want thing. We want to. We want more. We want it all to like tie. Like I was just listening to like a little four minute podcast bit with Brett Easton Ellis, the writer, and he was talking about Twin Peaks. I think it was him. He has his own um, podcaster. He used to. Oh, he did. Okay, I think it was him. I I could be wrong, but I think it was him. And he was talking about Twin Peaks season three, and uh, he loved it. But he was talking. The reason why he loved it was because it was so different. And Lynch is not interested in conventions and. Uh, he, he was kind of poo-pooing a lot of the serialized television, even though it's good. They're all about hitting the beats. No one's like really kind of experimenting and taking chances. And that's what he really loved about Twin Peaks. And it wasn't like, it wasn't forced. It was just Lynch. It's Lynch being Lynch. And I think that is the genius of it. And uh, um, here we go with the bug going in her mouth. I mean, oh, this, God. this was terrifying. <laughs> that's a big fucking bug too. That's going down. <laughs> it's not going down smooth, Tom. No, it's not, not going down smooth at all. You need to chase her. No. Oh. <laughs> this is like kind of a human primal terror, like a terror. You know, we always hear like, oh, you swallow 18 spiders in the middle of the night. You know, this is like the worst spider you could possibly swallow. Yeah, I won't bore the audience with uh, oh, a story God. of a girl that we knew in high school with a cockroach, but uh, it reminded me of that. Ooh. Yeah. I'm not sure I remember that story, but don't remind me. I won't. Um, but... Okay, so the fifty cent question. I like how he's. I like how this frog moth. The last leg comes in very slowly in the mouth. He's very uh, yeah. casual. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know, Lynch was like, you know, take his time. Yeah. That was like, yeah. They probably the animator probably was like, just get him in. It's like, no, no, no. Take your time. So what does that even um, mean? That means that the frog is living inside, is gestating and creating some sort of like uh, alternative uh, operating system for the human. Is that what's happening? Like a sunken that's what place we think because thing? of all the movies we've seen, right? Because that's what happens. And you get a bug, like Star Trek Two with Chekhov. Oh, the, 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 the earwig. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's manipulating Chekhov, and uh, that's what we want to think, right? So, but I was going to ask you, is like, if this is Sarah Palmer, is was this bug in the Sarah Palmer that we knew in the first series in Firewalk with Me, or gestating? Maybe that's why she was psychic. When she was spooky, she could see things because of the bug. Or is this like some kind of like alternate timeline? Like, is Bob like somehow thwarted already? Like Laura, uh, you know, defeated Bob by not allowing him to possess her. And if that was the whole plan of Bob, and he was thwarted, that there's another track of like, okay, now we're gonna go into the mother. You know, the Leland thing didn't work out. Let's go with the mother, and it's it's not gonna be Bob. It's gonna be like Judy's gonna take like. I'm going to take charge of this now. Bob, you're out. You go with Mr. C or whatever. Judy Bug and Sarah. Or is it, I mean, what is it? I mean, what do you think? Uh, I don't know, but you're referring to the retcon, that if the retcon had taken and that somehow Laura had not died and Bob had not, the whole thing didn't occur, that they would try to find a way to get her some another way through the mother and Judy as opposed to through Leland and Bob is what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know. Well, do you- I think probably... I would say, I mean, I like, obviously, if the retcon took, I like that idea of that, the that, because I still don't understand how Bob and Judy could be in the same house together, even though that's possible. But at this point, watching this, I don't think so. Right now, I'm looking and thinking that this is what originally happened in 1945, and everything will continue on, and that the bug was fucking in Sarah the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I just don't, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, what I like to think is, even reading the Mark Frost book, that it's unknown 
that it is more about the loss of innocence, that it not, isn't necessarily Sarah, um, even though we know that Sarah's taking her face off and there's some great evil behind Sarah, but the fact that we don't know why that is happening and why is Sarah is stabbing the Laura photo uh, or the homecoming photo in part 17 is just terrifying and is mysterious. And, and a part of me just doesn't like, want to know. It doesn't want to like attribute it to the bug that's within her or that she always had the bug in her. So, um, so that's just kind of where I'm going. With it, yeah. But. It's a mystery. It's a Swiss cheese multiverse of mystery. Tom, there's parts <laughs> that we're not going to understand. This is by far my favorite credit sequence by the way yeah and i looked at her like her eyes when her eyes were closed they're kind of moving around like she was having a little like rim sleep or something the terrors the bug was already in there messing with her can you imagine the nightmares you would have when a bug a frog moth got in your in your voice in your throat you probably had nightmares and we also missed the part where the woodsman's leaving Uh, the station and going into the dark don't you hear hear the horse the horse yeah that's 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 isn't it that's just this really was great um, episode a great one of the great. best episodes of all time ever made uh, for any show, I would think. It's going to be remembered yeah. forever, like I, this I mean, and like the last Tony Soprano. You know, there's certain episodes that will be remembered forever, and this will be it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think this is the one that, um, for me, the feeling of watching it, like the experience of watching it, was unlike anything that I had ever seen before. Now, I rem- even with Twin Peaks, I, Twin Peaks is my favorite series of all time, and there are any number of episodes from the original series and then this series and even Firewalk With Me that I could like return to and uh, that were unique. Uh, but this whole hour from start to finish was by far, I think it was... I think it's the best thing that David Lynch has ever done. I mean, it's the best hour. It's, it's so bold. It's so experimental. And uh, it's abstract. And we're not giving any answers. But there's, you know, the, the, the mystery of the Mr. C and the Bob Bubble and the sweetness of the Senorita Dido and, and the Fireman and the Laura Orb and just the, the real darkness and the horror of, like you were describing some zombie B-movie with the woodsman and the, the, the bug and, and the little girl with that innocence. It, it's, and, and with the Trinity test. I mean, it, all in this hour. And it doesn't seem forced. It, it, it's perfect. It really is. It really is. Uh, well, any last thoughts? We're here at the end. There was an article about uh, part 18. Did you read about that? You mean you our article? That? The one? Oh, yeah. That was our <laughs> article. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody can check out. We were on 25 Years Later, the website. We've got this article up now about uh, it's our unified dream theory, which we've discussed. So we hope you guys check it out. 